Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. But what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Hello, podcast listeners, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Colton Classic. This is our mini episode, episodes that fall between the weeks where we do panel reviews of a pair of films. Uh, these are the fun times when we bring you things like uh, cast and director interviews, uh, movie recommendations, and in this case, we are giving you a movie marathon recommendation of uh, classically unknown comic book films. So comic book films, much as like comic books themselves, have seen a resurgence in the last few years. Of course, uh, Marvel is a titan right now with DC right behind them. But there's a lot of other comic book movies that have come and been successful, such as uh, Men in Black, which was an independent comic title and also a Marvel comic title, though very, very little known. Uh, this week, we've got three that... Uh, pretty much guarantee you have not seen or did not know or comic films, uh, probably both. So first up, we have Faust, Love of the Damned. Now, horror buffs take note. This has a lot of great gore, some weird effects, lots of nudity, uh, and it is sort of a take on if Ghost Rider starred um, Spawn, I guess would be the best way to say it. Uh, the first thing to note about this film uh, is that it is uh, based on the independent comic book called Faust. Uh, first started in 1990, excuse me, 1986, um, 1987, somewhere around there. And it wasn't completed uh, until about 2012, I believe, somewhere around there. Um, it is the story of a a, well, in the comic, it's a drug dealer who is killed and his girlfriend is killed uh, and uh, gangs are run by uh, M, who is sort of a Mephistopheles devil character with powers. And uh, uh, John Jasper, the character uh, who was killed, comes back as sort of a, he looks kind of like uh, Batman and Wolverine crossover. I don't know if you remember, Amalgamation was a, a Marvel DC crossover in the 90s that is probably best left forgotten, but uh, they had a crossover character design for Wolverine and Batman. He looks kind of like that. Uh, he's got two claws instead of three, sort of in a predator setup coming out of his wrists. Uh, this comic is uh, a lot of fun. Very extreme, very graphic. Um, just a good story that is maybe not original, 
but uh, a lot of fun. The nice thing about this film is that although the origins are changed a little bit as pretty much every comic book to film adaptation is, um, the uh, David Quinn, uh, who along with Tim Vigil created this comic, uh, actually wrote the script. Uh, even more interesting to film buffs is the director is Brian Isna, uh, famous for the Reanimator series, starring um, the genre legend Jeffrey Combs, who is one of the leads in this film. I would hazard to say he is the lead in this film. He does not play Faust's character. Um, that's played by Mark Frost. But he does play Lieutenant Dan Margolis, who is uh, the driving character in a lot of this. Jennifer Rope is also in it, uh, Monica Van Campen. So the thing about this movie that you need to know is that it is not deep. Uh, that said, I don't know why you would expect a Brian Yuzna film about a comic character to be deep. Uh, that's, this is not a read against the film. Uh, this film is a lot of fun. It's hyper-violent. The character is sort of kind of a devil man, quippy kind of character. He's super funky looking, uh, great practical effects in this film. And uh, you really have to see his character design to believe it. They did a great job uh, with his headpiece, his eyes. Uh, Mark Frost does a great job being really over the top and it's nice. Um, this is one of those cases where the film is forgotten probably because it's a little hard to find. Uh, I think that it is worth watching if you like gore, if you like uh, funky, dark superhero stories. Let's listen to a clip here uh, of, of dialogue. There's actually some good, if not bizarre, writing in this. Something I messed with this sick bastard's mind. <laughs> Conspiracy, huh? Hey, you couldn't find the woman. How did she get out of the embassy without help? There was no one else in there. I saw no the woman. Nobody. So what about this thing called the hand? What about that? There's no such thing as the hand. No woman. No band of conspirators. This guy's a loner. Oh. A deranged animal. That's it, huh? That's all there is to it. There's no grand design here. Just a little outbreak of chaos. Like a pimple on the face of God. <laughs> yeah, so a uh, pimple on the face of God. That is one of those classic lines that's going to stick with you so far into the future that you may not even remember where it came from, but you will remember it. Um, so Mark Frost is Faust, and uh, he's also uh, in the film Mayhem as Ewan Niles from 2017. That's another one to watch. And in this case, I would hazard to say the biggest downfall of the film is that Faust is actually not present that much. He kind of just pops up uh, as a, as a, a you know, a, a catalyst for, for violence or an action scene. There are, however, other scenes that really do, uh, they're very much Yuzna territory. Um, one in particular is super bizarre, is a, a, a woman whose breasts grow to the size of, uh, God, uh, shopping carts, and then her butt grow, does the same, and then she just melts into like a pool of person. And it, the practical effects are fantastic. They're uh, not the thing you would normally see in, I would say that this is from the year 2000. So it's kind of an older school style. Uh, you also have this very much superhero sort of RoboCop satirical vibe. Uh, you can hear it in the music. This is this is a clip where Faust is um, trying to convince 
the the female lead that uh, these this cops and the people around her are actually demons in the employ of the mysterious M. Let's take a listen. I make such a mess when I play. You are murdering policemen! Why are you allying yourself with these demons he sent? They all work for him. Listen to me. Just give yourself up. And then I can help you. Help me! Help you, you mean? Why don't you just admit it? I'm the pornography that gets you hot! Yeah, that is the kind of crazy vibe you have going on. That I'm the pornography that makes you hot. This is the, the titular anti-hero uh, saying this. And you've got that rising sort of orchestral style soundtrack that, I mean, it really is um, right at play with, uh, you know, when Robocop is, is flying through the air uh, in Robocop 3 or something like that, where it's just, it's so satire that it's, it's almost a little much. But the film, which is shot and sort of seems to take itself rather seriously uh doesn't and and i think that that's signature for brian yuzna um you know with the exception of castle freak which is in his own merits a fantastic film and very serious he always has this tongue-in-cheek play with the extreme gore and bizarreness of uh, his films and i think that this is right on spot so if you like reanimator there is absolutely no reason not to track down faust love of the damned and if you like the sort of gritty 90s hyper violent comic trend at the time um, then uh, in the late 80s as well, then then definitely check out the comic book uh, by Tim Vigil and David Quinn also. So let's go ahead and jump into our next one here. Uh, this one, a lot of people are surprised to find out, is a Marvel film, is Marvel production from, I believe, before Marvel Studios really became a thing when they were still licensing out their name. Uh, but it was at the time when it was popular enough that they had started putting the Marvel comic book um, logo at the beginning of their films. Uh, it was a direct to DVD and television project uh, called Man Thing. Now, Man Thing, for those of you who don't know, is a character that looks a lot like DC Swamp Thing. In fact, it came out a couple of years after DC Swamp Thing, and there were several lawsuits that went back and forth about this character because its origins were very much like Swamp Thing, and Swamp Thing predated it, uh, and they eventually settled. Uh, and we're allowed to keep both characters in circulation. Here's the thing about Man-Thing. Man-Thing was uh, created by a group, then handed off to Steve Gerber, who is probably the best comic, I will say the best comic book writer in history. Uh, he's very satirical. He is famous for creating Howard the Duck. And if you think that Howard the Duck is just goofy garbage, then you have never read the comics because it is absolutely brilliant. The social commentary, the satire, um, the existentialism, it's, it's absolutely relevant today, probably more so than it was at the time. Uh, but his run on man thing is really, really well known uh, in, in, in comic book circles of this, of this era from the 70s because um, he took a character that was basically a big, dumb, brainless monster and gave it a, a skill that turned it into a fantastic turning point around which all these stories could work. So the idea of Man-Thing is that he is a uh, Dr. Tim Salas, much like Swamp Thing's origin, who runs afoul of some chemicals and becomes a uh, swamp-melded monster who dwells in this particular swamp. Now the difference is, is that unlike Swamp Thing, who has a consciousness uh, and can think, and he's, he's a, basically a person, Man-Thing is 
just a creature of instinct. And his only real instinct is that he hates the, the, uh, the emotion of fear. So when people become afraid, he has to snuff them out. And the way he does that is everything, quote, burns at the man thing's touch that knows fear. Okay, so if you know fear, man thing touches you, you burn. It's kind of a big deal. Now, that is, one would think, not a huge problem, except the fact that man thing is terrifying. So anyone who runs into him is probably terrified, and they are then burned. Now, the great thing about Steve Grover's stories is that they dealt with things like um, racism and uh, other social injustices, um, you know, money-grubbing capitalism, all of these things that uh, were really kind of big ideas. And he turned them into these macabre little stories that sort of hinged on the Man-Thing's eventual presence. So the Man-Thing was not really the core of the story at all. And you had this fantastic writing because you really have to work hard to write a character that doesn't think. So, um, you know, when he'd be describing the man thing, he went out of his way to give these sort of blank internal monologues where the character is sort of like, all of this would be thought if the man thing could think. So really great writing, urge you to check it out. Marvel has some collections out of these original stuff. The downside is that man thing, uh, who also has fantastic artwork and fantastic design, just like Howard the Duck comics, uh, once Steve Gerber stopped writing, lesser writers did not know what to do with the character, and he just became a lumbering monster, uh, horror, sad excuse for a horror comic. So that's a bummer. But uh, I was very excited when Man-Thing was sort of announced under the radar. Now, I was excited and terrified. Uh, one reason for each. I was excited because I love Man-Thing, love Steve Gerber, super excited to see him uh, on, on a, in a film. However, um, well, I also thought that if they're, they're sliding under the radar, it could be that uh, some enterprising uh, filmmakers had decided to make a uh, true-to-the-material film, which may throw some viewers off who were expecting a monster movie and instead get something else, much like the comics. Uh, but I was also scared because it was a low-key announcement, so I was thinking that it's very possible that it is instead just a cash grab and they're going to miss the entire point and just turn out some dreck. Unfortunately, the second option is what happened. This film is pure hot garbage. Now, why did I include it on this list if it is pure hot garbage? Well, for one, it's the novelty factor. It's a Marvel film from the 2000s that people are not aware of. Uh, the other thing is that the movie is watchable. It is actually fairly entertaining. The effects wane between really great and really awful. I believe it actually aired as a sci-fi uh, channel original and also played on Cinemax for a while when it came out. Um, and there's really, there is no connection except for it's a swamp monster uh, in this film with the source material. I, I actually have seen a lot of reviews online for this film that's like, well, at least it was close to the comics. It is literally nothing like the comics, uh, except that it's a monster in the, the swamp. Um, in fact, instead of a scientist who runs afoul of um, some, some business folk and is caught in the swamp and becomes man thing, um, they turn Ted Salas into a Native American medicine person, which is really bizarre across the board. Let's, let's listen to this clip. See, Sheriff Corley, he, uh, well, he kind of went insane before he disappeared. That's a lot of missing persons for a small town. I guess they didn't fill you in all the way. 
It started with this Indian medicine man, Ted Salas. He was the first one to disappear. Corley thought Salas put a curse on Bywater. Hey, I can take all this down. No. Leave it. So, uh, the person that you that you heard uh, saying there's a lot of that's a lot of murders for a small town is Matthew Lenebes, and he uh, plays the lead, Kyle, uh, the new the new sheriff in town, uh, uh, who's sort of in charge of finding out what's causing all these missing persons in this little swamp area where they are putting oil derricks. Now, uh, he's a pretty well-known TV actor, very successful, I would say. He, you might have seen him in the Lizzie Borden Chronicles from 2015. Uh, he was in that for a little bit. But uh, despite some, some, some cast members that could hold their own in normal circumstances, their acting is really atrocious in this. And I think it's the fault of the script. The script is... Uh, like the overall film, Hot Garbage. Now, the script was written by Hans Rodinoff. Uh, he is, he, he's written some stuff. He wrote Sucker from 1998, uh, the vampire film, sort of an underground vampire film that's worth a watch, in my opinion. But he also wrote some cash-ins like Deep Blue Sea 2, uh, The Lost Boys sequel, Tribe and Thirst, which are meh, The Skulls 2, that sort of thing. So, uh, well, I'm not going to bag on uh, Rodinoff uh, too much because I think his films are, for the most part, entertaining. Uh, this script that pays no homage to the character is really just a massive misfire, and it turns uh, a really great potential story um, set up into just a really, really bad by the numbers uh, um, Indian burial ground kind of vibe. I think it's insensitive to uh, uh, Native Americans just by virtue of it being so dull and heartless and also an insult to the original source material again uh it's probably worth it to fans of man thing just so they can say they saw it plus um a little bit of nudity and gore and some nice creature effects on occasion um when they're not trying too hard with some bad 3d cgi so that's worth it the other thing to note that's just kind of fun is that a lot of the background characters in this film are named after artists uh, who really cut their teeth on Man-Thing, um, Mike Plue, Val Merrick, um, things like that. So that's that's worth it. Uh, uh, William Zappa is in it uh, as as a character named Gerber for Steve Gerber. So there's there's some things like that that are worth seeing, sort of little Easter eggs. But, you know, for them to work Easter eggs like that in, you think they would have had to have read some of the comics. And to make this film out of that, I just... I just don't understand. Uh, this is this is from the climax. I'm not really giving anything away because I don't think this film is going to do anything but uh, run through the numbers for most audiences. But let's take a listen. Run! I'll set you free! Yeah, so I don't know if you can hear it in there. It's kind of prevalent during other scenes where we see Man-Thing. Uh, he makes these weird little sounds, these like guttural sounds, and then these uh, things. They give him tendrils, kind of like Cthulhu uh, from his back. Uh, Man-Thing, the character does kind of have them from his face in the comic books. Very odd, inhuman-looking face. Um, less so here. It's, it's, it's kind of close, but... Mm, 
it's more like a interesting deviant art interpretation as opposed to a really great rendition of the classic character. Uh, also note that this is the scene where the man thing is, I guess, destroyed by blowing up an oil derrick, which seems okay, you know, that kind of uh, by the numbers uh, Jaws-esque garbage. And uh, the 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 two characters the fem the female and male lead um then watch as he man thing sinks into the muck disappearing uh while the flaming corpse of their friend who saved their lives is off in the swamp to their left somewhere and then they look at each other and passionately kiss and that is the wrap up so you can see what kind of quality story you're getting here but that is okay because the next film on this movie cavalcade is uh one that is definitely enjoyable. I don't think the writing is any better, but uh, the plot and the effects are really, really worth watching. Uh, this film is Fist of the North Star. Now, Fist of the North Star is uh, a long, um, a, a very long popularity uh, manga series. Um, it is it is uh, written by um, Bronson and illustrated by Tetsuohara, and it ran in the 80s in Weekly Shonen Jump, and it's been collected since and has had several anime adaptations. Um, and this one that we will be talking about is actually a 1995 English live action version. Yeah, if that doesn't just give you the big old question right away, I don't know what does. Uh, so the director is Tony Randall, who you, uh, as the listener, may know from uh, the, such films as being the director of Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, uh, which is a pretty good movie. And, and that's coming from someone who's a huge Hellraiser fan. And then uh, also did some direct video stuff like Amityville 1992, It's About Time, Children of the Night, those type things. Uh, still making films. Hasn't done a huge amount uh, since since then. He worked in visual effects before that as well. He did uh, visual effects for Escape from New York, things of that nature. So he knows what he's doing around uh, behind the scenes. Um, and then the, uh, the writer of this, uh, from the you know the film versus the comic uh, is Peter Atkins did the bulk of it and he has written a ton of genre films he is known for writing the Wishmaster series up through four uh, which is uh, in my opinion totally worth a watch uh, and then also he wrote Hellbound Hellraiser 2 and Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth which is a little more weak um, but still Totally worth listening. Hellraiser Bloodline was written by him as well which uh, I would say give a watch so he's done a lot of stuff He's done a couple of uh, Hellraiser shorts uh, in the late 2000s that are interesting enough as well. Uh, that's enough plug for him, though, because we're talking about Fist of the North Star. Now, the story for Fist of the North Star is that after uh, a nuclear Armageddon, uh, the world has become sort of a exactly what we see in every single post-apocalyptic film. Uh, as a lover of post-apocalyptic film, though, that's no problem for me. And we have a wanderer, uh, Kenshihiro, who is, in this case, played by Gary Daniels. Now, if you don't know who Gary Daniels is, uh, he does martial arts stuff. He plays Brian Fury in 2010's live-action Tekken adaptation from the video game. Uh, and if that doesn't uh, tell you who he is, well, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, he is very fit, very capable physically. He's also very little, and he has a very, very, very buggy eye kind of stare. Uh, now, 
I would say he's made it a little more subtle as he's gotten older, and I would say it's improved, but it is on full display in Fish of the North Star. His eyes are ready to leap out of his skull and hit you right square in the forehead. Uh, it, is, it is a little off-putting. It is a little odd for the character that is sort of the ultra-masculine um, beauty standard for uh, manga comics. But nonetheless, he is uh, the lead in this film. His mentor, uh, Ryukin, is played by none other than Malcolm McDowell, who uh, we all know and love from uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, Star Trek Generations. He was Alex in A Clockwork Orange. I mean, he's been in so much stuff. He is all over the place, uh, great films, bad films, everything in between. And I would hazard to say, uh, one of the strongest actors of his generation to continue working till today. Uh, so it's nice to see him. Let's listen, this uh, right here is uh, the scene early on in the film when Lord Shin, who is the antagonist of the film, uh, he's uh, the one that wants to destroy Kenshihiro and steal his girl. And he's already stolen his girl. So Kenshihiro is roaming the deserts looking for her. But this is uh, when Lunshin meets uh, Master Ryuken. Is my mission as clear to you as my identity, old man? Yes, crystal clear. And inevitable. You mean to kill me? Yes, I mean to kill you. My work is done, Shin. I am ready to die. But I am the fist of the North Star, and you are master of Southern Cross. I am the master of Southern Cross. Yes. And the teachings say North Star and Southern Cross must never fight. This is not a fight. It's an execution. There we go. Now, a uh, pretty well-acted scene there. And uh, Costas Mandalore plays Lord Shin. And I got to tell you, he looks the part. Uh, he is huge, very masculine, very ripped. Uh, he's still very, very uh, active in the genre community. He's got uh, 30 gajillion films right now that are coming out uh, in the next couple of years. He is uh, no slouch. So um, it's worth seeing him. Now, can he act? Well, uh, he delivers his lines a little, duh, 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 sort of, you know, um, uh, a little bit clearer Sylvester Stallone. I would not say, though, that it is uh, a bad a bad job. I think that he actually is probably the perfect cast for this film. And this is one of his early films. So uh, he has improved a great deal as well as he's worked. He's been part of just about every single television show the genre people have liked from um, Sanctuary, excuse me, that's a uh, uh, his television movie from 2001, Sanctuary, um, Charmed, Sex in the City. Um, he was also in a lot of uh, uh, scenes as um or excuse me the saw movies saw three and saw four and saw five he's, he's been around so any who's it's you've got him as the as the villain and what really makes this film special are the special effects because if you're familiar at all with fish of the north star you know that the main uh most memorable bit of it is that uh, both kenshihiro and lord shin have these martial arts skills that work sort of on pressure points and they cause crazy things like tapping a guy 20 times and then a few seconds later his head uh, grows disproportionate and erupts. It is hyper violent, it is hyper awesome uh, in this reviewer's opinion. And this film does that. Uh, you actually see great 
uh, practical effects to get these head explosions. Um, let's listen to this clip. This is also in the first half of the film. And the one thing I'll say that's a downside, aside from the acting and mediocre script and lots of pitfalls of the, uh, the 90s and 80s post-apocalyptic genre where characters kind of come and go and they have uh, quips that are sort of supposed to be humorous when really the, the manga and anime series from Fist of the have no humor. Uh, this is this is early on in the film, and I guess my biggest criticism is that this is the best, most iconic fight uh, to see the live action adaptation of this uh, of this manga series. And it's early in the film, and we really don't get anything as fantastic as this later on. Still worth watching. Still get some great scenes, good martial arts, good choreography, good practical effects, but nothing beats this. So let's take a listen. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Tickle me to death? Don't turn your back on me! You're already dead. That is exactly as gruesome as it sounds. Uh, and some other things about this particular fight scene and a couple of scenes later is, it seems like uh, the director of uh, 1985's Fist of the North Star really wanted to do honor to the comics um, and create some images that fans would recognize from the anime and the manga. And they did that. There's scenes uh, where the uh, character's kicked in the head and his jaw is super off center and that's done with practical effects um, that obviously the head explosion things like that they're really great stuff um, you also get some interesting special effects on some some mutant like characters uh, it's just it's a fun time uh, there's also uh, lots and lots of character actors here um, Chris Penn Clint Howard Andre Rosa Brown Melvin Van Peebles uh, downtown Julie Brown uh, is in it so it's it's worth watching uh, if you're a film buff and I think that the the key is is don't look for a really great script uh, don't expect anything super unexpected except for perhaps in the gruesome fight scenes and don't take it too seriously and you'll have a fantastic time now the director we didn't touch on uh, is tony randall uh, did uh, I, we did touch on him a little bit actually uh, so i guess it, it's worth ticks is the other movie i was thinking of that that he also directed uh, in the 90s and so uh, he knows what he's doing so let him take you on a fun ride fish of the north star uh, gary daniels odd choice i know why they did it uh, I don't know that he's totally successful in it, but I don't really think that's his fault as much as it is. Uh, he just doesn't look like Kenshi Hero. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Everything else is pretty fantastic, uh, except for the fact that Malcolm McDowell plays Ryukin, which is uh, probably whitewashing at its finest. Uh, but definitely give this a uh, watch. And it came out uh, in Japan. I think it actually hit theaters in Japan. I could be wrong on that. But this is a solid rated R film, uh, much like Faust uh, and Man-Thing. You've got a lot of gore going on, and it's totally worth it. And as always, uh, with source material, if you enjoy these films, if you take a look, um, which I encourage you to do, then check out the uh, the original material. Check out Fish of the North Star, the manga. Definitely check out the uh, original anime series. It's long, but if you enjoyed uh, the film, then you will certainly enjoy the series. Uh, check out the 
the later series by uh, Madhouse, who is a really great and well-known animation studio. Um, check out the Man-Thing comics by Steve Gerber. Like I said, Marvel has some of those great uh, black and white reprints uh, collections. You can get them for like 20, 20 bucks, somewhere 25 bucks. Totally worth it. You cannot go wrong with Steve Gerber's writing. And then of course, Faust. Uh, pick up those awesome 80s all the way to 2012 comics. Get the whole story and you won't be disappointed. So this has been a mini episode of Cult and Classic. As always, the clips in this podcast are used for review purposes only and are the properties of the original copyright holders. And please go ahead and support our music band talent, The Chud, at facebook.com slash The Chud Band. And lastly, if you'd like to support this podcast uh, or if you have any uh, suggestions or if you have any film ideas or if you think you'd make a good panelist, please go ahead and reach out to me at Nathan J. Wyckoff, that's W-Y-C-K-O-F-F at gmail.com and donate at coltonclassicpodcast.com. We also support Black Lives Matter and you can go and find some places to donate to that cause at our website as well. And look out for the Patreon, which will be coming soon, where you can get special behind the seat stuff gifts, all sorts of cool stuff if you become a Patreon member and support Cult and Classic Podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.